Fellas, I hope you are well. I hope this message, this recording finds you well. And I want to thank you for a few things. First off, I want to thank you for being a part of this tribe, a part of this growing family. I don't know what the word is. Affirming is not the appropriate word because the show is not about me, but I love the feedback that I've been getting from you men who have been hearing this because it says to me that the show is not about me. It's about you. It's about us. And I'm glad that we have found something together. And I know that this conversation, if you get through it, is going to be an impactful one. And we go further down this road of vulnerability and transparency and how do men show up today on a day-to-day, on a moment-to-moment basis. And the second thing that I wanted to thank you for before I get distracted was for doing you and all the things that you do that go unnoticed, all the things that you do just because you're you and you wouldn't do them any other way. I want to say thank you for those because they matter and they make a difference in your life and in the people that you come into contact with. And so if someone has not said that to you recently, I want to say that to you. And I want to say thank you for all that you are doing, for all that you are trying. I know that there is the whole Yoda thing of the do or do not. Trying does not matter. I think it does a little bit. Um, it's It's not all that matters, but I think it does matter a little bit. And so for you showing up today, you showing up and you being here, I want to thank you. And I want to affirm and acknowledge you. Now, let's get into today's conversation because... Once again, this is not about me. This is about you. And this is Conversation with Quentin Finney. Welcome to the Modern Masculinity Podcast, where we delve into the depths of what it means to be a man in today's world, and we explore the real-life challenges and triumphs that you and I face every single day. My name is Hector Santhi Esteban, and I come with no answers, only questions for some of the most wise, insightful, and grounded men that I know. So get settled in. You're listening to Modern Masculinity. Quentin, welcome to the Modern Masculinity Show, man. It's great to have you here. Thanks. Happy to be here. How are you today? Doing pretty well. It's a beautiful day in Colorado where I live. Fortunate to have a great big picture window right next to my desk. And so I can see the mountains through my window and we get 300 days of sunlight a year. I'm very spoiled. So appreciating the sunlight, appreciating a clear blue sky, appreciating the view of the mountains. Yeah. I appreciate you being here. And we always like to start off these conversations with what's real for you. And you were playing kind of emergency dad a little earlier. So maybe that's (laughs) what it is. But I'm curious what's real for you as a man, as a father, as a provider, a business owner, whatever it may be. I'm curious what's present for you. Uh, Such a good question. Present for me most of the time these days is just trying to be a good, decent human, raising good, decent humans. And whatever that means, right? It doesn't mean what it meant for my dad. It's hard. I know you are in a role where you have to play a lot of the roles. And I would imagine that throws a unique wrench into the puzzle. But yeah, one of the themes that's come up in a lot of our conversations is this undoing of generational trauma. I I remember in one of the early conversations, they... I believe it was Dr. Ted Ransaw. He was saying that they can see diabetes, they can trace it to their grandfather. 
but generational trauma, it's not just something that we're saying, or it's not this made up thing, but in any case, that it's a very real thing that we are trying to undo. Just the other day, my wife said, she said, you talk to our son the way that your dad used to talk to you. And I was like, damn, damn, it hurt. But in that moment, I also had to give myself some grace, like, okay, at least we have this opportunity to kind of undo this. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating, right? The comparative that we have, the examples that were set before us, and even a genetic imprint that we carry. Epigenetics says that the impact happens for three generations. So genetic impact for three generations from trauma is pretty interesting to think about. And you said something that was interesting, right? Like self-compassion, self-forgiveness. These things are also things we don't have a lot of training for or permission for really. And I think it's like vital, especially if we're trying to break some of the condition, the behaviors that we grew up in, we have to be able to forgive ourselves when we make mistakes. We're conditioned toward perfection and we're conditioned toward competitive comparison against a benchmark that it's unrealistic. None of us get out of this alive, right? So we do the best we can. We're going to fuck up and make mistakes. And when we do, we have to develop the capacity to forgive ourselves instead of trying to outsource that to somebody else, right? The models were not there. One thing I try and do a lot with my kids is apologize when I'm wrong. Yeah. And, and my parents, I can't remember. I don't know if they've ever done that. Maybe my mom. I don't remember my dad ever apologizing. And I don't know that there were times where I was like, he was wrong. But I remember as a kid taking a lot of pride in being right. And it caused a rip. And I, it's helpful to see now my son and sometimes my daughter, but to a less extent. But my son really starting to apologize and, and do it on his own and to take ownership and responsibility there was no model. And unless I had some other mentors or books or I don't know where I necessarily got that idea from, but unless I was exposed to that, there would have been nothing to point to, to say that this is the way. I don't think any of us come with an owner's manual, either as kids or as parents or as partners or even just functioning single adults. And especially in the context of parenting, you know, I have a friend who I think is very wise. He's like an older brother, like 17, 18 years older than me. And he asks the question often, he says, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be in relationship? Because yeah. sometimes we attach so heavily to being right that it breaks our capacity to be in relationship with the other person. And in parenting, that's kind of, that can be destructive. I had to, I downloaded a book on my Kindle that was literally just called Letting Go. And it was a short book. And I was looking for in that moment, I was like, I need some perspective because I'm holding on to things too much that don't really matter. I didn't really realize that. You're not even aware that you're so stuck in that being rightness that you don't realize that it's preventing you from being happy or being in relationship or being peace or whatever it is, right? Or just having peace in the house. Totally. And when we make mistakes, we're conditioned to feel shame. Like, I think that's a universal experience for men in particular, not exclusively, but men in particular, because we're not supposed to make mistakes, right? We're supposed to celebrate our victories and hide our mistakes. We're supposed to celebrate our joys and hide our pain. But it's so unrealistic because it's part of the human condition to feel both. The aspect of equanimity is 
treating them both the same. There's a great poem by Rudyard Kipling, one line, and it says, treat both of those imposters the same. Talking about success and failure. Treat both of those imposters the same because I experience success and I experience failure, but I'm not defined by it unless I choose to absorb that as part of my self-identity. That's a lot of pain. That's what I think when I think of in terms of what we're trying to change or shift in the masculine condition, it's okay to be wrong sometimes. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to admit that we're wrong. My kids have seen me cry when I'm sad. They've seen me grieve. Like I didn't have no fault on my elders, but I didn't have functional models for grieving when I was young. Had to learn that. Learn that as an adult and a later adult. But this idea of shame has come up a lot. And I'm hoping that it is more, at least it's happening in these conversations. So at least the conversation is being started. But, but there is so much around this for men. There's so much work to be done collectively, individually, obviously, but collectively as individuals, right? We all have so much work. And I think part of the challenge, again, is this lack of awareness to it. We're so good at suppressing or minimizing or shoving down whatever we want to do to pretend that it's not actually there. Yeah. And I think it's to a lot of people's detriment. Yeah. Whatever age we are, whatever generation we are, I'm solidly Generation X. We have to do our work. We got to do our work. We got to own our shit. We got to look at it, which is not always a comfortable experience. But like, I think about it in the context of there's a Tibetan Lama named Rod Owens, where I learned about the quote. I don't know that I could attribute it to him as primary, but I learned about it through him. It says, if you don't do your work, you become work for somebody else. And I don't want to be anybody else's work. I don't want to outsource my work to my kids. I don't want to outsource my work to my partner. I need to do my own work. I spent 14 years in the Marine Corps, which is interesting because we learn courage, right? Courage in the face of adversity. We learn to do the counterintuitive thing and turn toward the sound of chaos and step in while everybody else is stepping the other way. And that's all good and well. And as men, we're trained for that, whether it's in the context of military or any other context, turn toward chaos and step in. We do that when it's external chaos, but we don't have any reference point for doing that when a chaos is inside of us. We don't know how to turn inside and look at the chaos inside and engage with it and work it, work our shit. Yeah, being able to navigate the inner world is something that's so foreign for, I think, I don't think it's exclusive to guys. It's perhaps a societal or a global thing. We just, we are not trained at how to articulate or I don't, deal with is not the right word. We don't need to deal with our emotions. I think that's what we've been doing for so long. And that's why we're here. We need to learn to yeah. perhaps work with, right, is a better yeah. way to approach it. There's a great documentary called The Mask You Live In. And the first time I saw it, I've seen it several times, but it brought me to my knees because I recognized myself in it. And it's about how we've hyper-masculinized our boys. And we've created these structures where we drive a certain type of behavior trying to climb to the pinnacle of the masculinity triangle, whatever version that is, military, professional sports, Wall Street, politics, pick your flavor. 
we try and drive to that. And a lot of the way to climb that is suppressing our emotions. So we end up losing our capacity to feel what we naturally need to feel. I do think it's a different challenge for guys rediscovering our own capacity as men to deal with and relate to our own emotions in a healthy way. We can't outsource that to our partners. Those models don't work. But I think it's really interesting to watch the difference between, and we're talking in binaries and gender is not a binary thing. Those who present as women come together and support one another in ways that guys don't. We'll come together and celebrate together. But there's a fear of being judged and isolated if we're struggling. So we don't know how to ask for help. Well, that's one of the things I think we need to learn is how do we raise our hand and ask for help when we need it? And not in a way that says, come fix me, because that's emasculating. I don't need you to fix me. But I might need a hand to stand back up when I stumble on my knees or my face or whatever. I might need some support. And it's hard to ask for that. Yeah, support, right? It's like we don't need help necessarily. We need support. And I think that there's a, perhaps a, a distinction there. And there's so much, yeah, there's so much value to having a group of guys or, that can support you. I've been learning this recently that you should not be dumping your emotions, right? You should not be dumping all of your processing stuff on your wife and your kid. And it's like it, the, <laughs> like even last night I was, it was I felt it and I wasn't able to work with it and she's like what's wrong and I'm like I'm just processing stuff and it didn't end well <laughs> but all that to say that you can't dump it on them but you also can't keep it to yourself so there needs to be a place where that can be released and guys interestingly enough are the ones that can hold the space for other guys right that's something that I learned too that and it's usually best with other guys for some, I don't know, maybe you can speak to that. Well, I think it's a really precious and rare experience when you find that, you know, somebody that you can trust to that level where I can be vulnerable and know that I'm not going to be cast out or banished or whatever. I'm not the runt of the pack that's going to get thrown out because I'm showing that I have emotions like we all have. Some of us just need help showing them or learning how to show them. And it is different when a group of men come together to support one another. Like the things that we do, it's super easy if you're 20, 20, 25, whatever, and physically in an able body to go work it out, literally, physically find a capacity to physical exhaustion is a way to release emotion from the body. But as you age, you can't do the same kinds of things that you used to. And if you haven't developed healthy mechanisms to deal with those emotions, when you lose the ability for pursuing physical exhaustion as a way of releasing them, then you're stuck. You just got to deal with them. I'm trying to stay young or, or whatever, but I hit that point yesterday. And I pulled something doing a, a workout that I would have normally done because I had been looking to wring out my emotions and I was going to that well, perhaps too much. Right. And that's kind of what you're speaking to that. If eventually at an age, you're not going to be able to do that. So it's, it was a great highlight of that point. Yeah. Age is a relentless teacher. Really. And speaking of groups of men, I, I'm connected with another 
couple of guys who are part of this group. They've been together for 25 years, group of men. They get together once a year on mini retreat or whatever. But their group, they refer to as finishing well. That's what they call their group, finishing. And they are talking about approaching death. And they've been doing this together for 25 years. That's an amazing thing to me. I have been thinking about (laughs) collecting some of my men friends together to do that ourselves because it's just feeling like such a powerful model. How do we finish well? I recently joined a dad's group maybe six months ago, maybe now probably closer to a year. And we had a retreat in December. And thank goodness for that retreat. Thank goodness for that time. I don't know. Shoot, if I'm being frank, I don't know if I still have our marriage. If I don't go to that retreat, the transformation and the support and kind of all that has just come from just being around a group of guys that, like you said, are not going to cast you out for being human, essentially, and dealing with everything that, that everybody goes through has been, I don't know, so important, right? That more... I think if anything that these conversations can do is expose more men to the power of groups like that, because it it should be more mainstream or more popular or whatever that word is. Yeah. It's kind of interesting when you go to some emotional intelligence training programs or whatever, some of which I teach, a lot of times it's 80% women, 20% men. And like, I just, I've always been very curious about that. I've been in rooms where the opposite is true as well, where it's 80% men and 20% women, very different focus areas. But I think about it in the context of some of us, for whatever reason, have been finding our way, trying to find our way. And just one of the biggest aspects of parenthood is modeling behavior for our kids. We don't just tell them how to behave. We show them how to behave by how we behave. We show them how to love by how we love them. And same thing for other men too, is we show that there's an opportunity to be something different than the training and the conditioning and the cultural behaviors. There's an opportunity to be something different and by our own behavior, giving permission for that when people need it. We haven't really talked about this idea of vulnerability and I have interesting takes on that word specifically. And we're going to get into that and your thoughts on that uh, right after this quick break. Hey guys, today's episode is brought to you by Amplify Media. And we are a podcast production company, but we like to think of ourselves as a small group of genius makers. And so if you have a mission, a message, a passion, a purpose that you want to get out to the world, but don't necessarily have the time or the tech skills to be able to do it, we can help. Go to AmplifyMedia.com. That's A-M-P-L-A-F-Y Media.com. You can find all the info in the show notes. And with that, let's get back to today's interview. Okay, Quinn. So before the, the break, we had teased the idea of vulnerability. And I've gone back and forth on this idea of should men be vulnerable? And I heard someone say to me that vulnerability, right, that, that they don't like that word. They like transparent. If someone is vulnerable, are they putting themselves at risk? And perhaps maybe that is the point. And whereas transparency is dropping the guard and and kind of letting people in. So I'm going to pose the question to you with those two thoughts and ideas. How do you see vulnerability and how do you approach it as a man? That's such a good question. Essential. I think vulnerability is essential to how we move through the world. If I'm not vulnerable... With my partner, for example, 
who does my partner love? I'm not me. If I'm not being vulnerable, I'm posing, I'm acting, I'm wearing a mask. So who is it that they actually love at that point? It's not me because I'm hiding. And I love Brene Brown's work, not just because we both grew up competitive swimmers, but I love her work because she describes herself as a shame researcher. And she talks about vulnerability quite a lot, including with Navy SEALs. And one of the best interviews I've ever seen was Brene with a group of Navy SEALs. And she, and she was talking about vulnerability and courage and the relationship between the two. And a bunch of gruff, very reserved, physically high performers that execute missions really well. She asked them a simple question while they're standing around posturing. And she said, can you give me an example, just one example of a time when you've seen courage without vulnerability? And it brought the room silent for a while. And finally, one of them said, no, ma'am, I can't cannot think of one time when I've seen courage exhibited without vulnerability. How is that possible that we confuse things? We want to be really courageous in how we move through the world, how we live our lives. We don't want to be vulnerable and we misunderstand the relationship between the two. Can you expand on that? Because I think nuances. There is some nuance here. They're correlated, they're connected, but they're not the same. What is the link between the two? Yeah. The link between I, courage I, and vulnerability? Yeah, I, I see the correlation, but I'm but in my head, I'm like, does correlation mean causation? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I'm so what I'm saying though is like, how do you see those fitting together? Yes, they happen to appear side by side next to each other. But what is the connection between the two? The example of the SEALs, in my own experience in the Marine Corps, you step into the line of fire, you are by nature vulnerable. You can ignore your vulnerability, which actually leaves you exposed. Or you can acknowledge your vulnerability and work with ways to keep yourself safe while you're vulnerable right? But you know that you're vulnerable or you ignore that you're vulnerable. Either way, the fact is still there. So there's a courageous yeah. way to acknowledge the vulnerability or hide from it. At least what I'm experiencing is a willingness to step into the unknown, right? To lead into this place where we're, we've not been before as whether it's in the family or for a business or whatever it is. And I think that's that same thing. Right. That in doing that, in, in leading that and in going into that unknown, you are being vulnerable, that stepping outside the gates, going outside the walls is inherently dangerous. You're vulnerable. That is courageous. I am seeing that, those connections now. What I think is interesting is this new kind of evolution of masculinity that is, I don't want to say it's softer, Right. But it has elements of that. Right. Whereas there's not just this machismo or there's not just this <laughs> rock solid. Right. But there's something else to it. It's nuanced. It's layered. It's I don't know. What's what is it to you? What's that other word that you think is characterizes the next evolution of this masculinity? Yeah. Balanced. When I think of things, we talk about sacred masculine, sacred feminine, sacred human divine human, 
whatever the words are that are wrapped around it. I think about balanced. We want to absorb things that we like that make us feel good, right? But even sometimes we get exposed to concepts that stop us in our tracks, like protector instinct. My combat time was in Bosnia. We're preventing Muslim genocide. We're protecting those who couldn't defend themselves. And then much later, I just dated myself. (laughs) Much later, I came to understand that protection, the protective instinct and the protection impulse is a feminine energy, right? We don't talk about tiger dads. We don't talk about papa bears, right? We talk about mama bears. We talk about tiger moms, right? It's a protector energy. We don't have to become more feminine. We don't have to let go of or become emasculated. We don't have to let go of our masculinity. But we can also own in balance these feminine qualities that are important. Half the time, I'm a single parent. So I'm stuck in the place where I shift between those all the time. So for me, there's a forcing function in that. But I can't just be like solely focused on masculine energy all the time when I'm the only parent half the time. Yeah, my wife travels a lot and I find myself running into that same thing as well where, damn, if they, it would be great if there was a nurturer around here. <laughs> it would be great if there was a caregiver around here. I see it though as an opportunity for me to step into those roles. And one, one thing that's been echoed on these conversations is that it's not about throwing out all of what was, right? It's about keeping what was great about what was and then layering on and evolving into what is and creating something that is more evolved. Yeah. I think that's what you're talking about is embracing now this other side of it, whether it's feminine totally. or whatever. In, in the parenting context, for example, am I less a man if I pick my kids up when they stumble on the ground, brush the dirt off, kiss them on the head and put and let them go off on their way, as opposed to standing on the sidelines yelling at them to get up, keep going? Am I less a man if I nurture them by lifting them up, dusting them off and sending them on their way? I don't think so. And I think another thing that's come about is that we are now at a place where people are able to at least safely define what masculinity means for them. Yeah. In the sense that I, part of this show is I come with no answers and I don't know if we'll ever get to an answer, only have questions. And my intention is to only start conversations. And I think intuitively, I know that it's like a cold stone or it's like a, it's a subway, right? You can have it any which way that you want. And there's all these different flavors and toppings and varieties. They're all great and they're all warranted and have their place. And I think we're now at a place to be ready for that. I, perhaps you men were always able to do that, but it seems like now that's where, that's the next step, I think, or at least... For the majority of guys, that's that next evolution that we can take as a whole. Yeah. I think questions are more powerful than answers. That comes from Peter Block's book on community. And in fact, like part of our conditioned response is to believe that we have to pursue and know all the answers and that we have to be an expert. That's the pinnacle is being an expert. I think that that's a dangerous perspective, at least for me, because 
once I stick a stake in the ground and declare that I'm an expert on something, it's the enemy of learning. If I declare that I'm an expert, I know all there is to know. There's nothing left to learn. And I think life is a constant learning journey, right? And so part of what we're breaking is the pressure on men to have the answer, where the courageous thing is to acknowledge that we're living in the question and we may not always know. I don't think we're meant to do it alone. We're meant to come together and work our way through the question together, all of the questions together. Yeah, it's interesting. I've been spending a lot of time in, in chat GPT. I'm not sure if they're oh, yeah. there yet. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but what's interesting is that it's less about, and this happened with Google, right? It wasn't about what you know anymore because you could just search for things. And similarly, with ChatGPT, it's not about even necessarily what you can say or write, but the questions that you can ask. And the better the questions, the better the response, the more powerful you know you have this tool and it's only as good as your questions. And so yep. it really it, it just highlights the importance of, learning today right because things are moving so fast and things changing and you know that we need to be more comfortable asking questions than necessarily being stuck in our beliefs and answers if you will and honestly i have a fundamental belief that we know everything we need to know i have a fundamental belief that when i'm sitting with someone as an executive coach and they're in the fire of some struggle right literally in the fire Often it's an inner world struggle more than an external world struggle. And sometimes the most courageous thing to do is not run away from it, is to feel it and just feel it moment by moment and say, is this annihilating me in the moment, this feeling? Does it annihilate me in this moment? No. How about this moment? Does it annihilate me in this moment? No. And we build a resilient endurance to sitting in the fire just by exploring whether or not whatever we're feeling annihilates us in any given moment. It's like my approach to executive coaching is less about coming to you as an answer man. Ugh, I, that's kind of bullshit. I don't believe in that. Others might. I don't. More for me, it's about asking good questions and listening you into your own wisdom, asking questions that are powerful enough for you to find your own answer because it's there. I don't have right. to tell you. It's there. Quinn, this has been a really great conversation. I'm excited that our listeners are going to get a chance to hear this. As we're kind of wrapping up here, is there anything that we didn't get to that you thought would be relevant or important to what we're talking about today? For me, probably only the aspects of the hyper-aggressive competition that we've set up where the world isn't a binary thing. It's not about win and lose. It's about playing. And even like Simon Sinek's book, The Infinite Game, talks about why do you play the game? Not to win or lose. You play the game to keep playing the game and keep playing the game and keep playing the game. Yeah, that concept just popped up. I had heard of the book and I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek, especially his book, Start With Why. Really transformative book for me. And I yep. recently heard someone else talking about the book and the way that they were referencing it, though, is that 
And all of the most important things, and I'm sure it's a big concept in the book, but that all the most important things that the games are not finite games, but they're infinite games, whether it's in marriage or parenting or relationships or business or whatever it is, all of the most important things, there's not an end. It's simply to just keep it going. And what a paradigm shift that is. (laughs) What a a mind fuck that is (laughs) to think about it that way, because Even when I approach making snacks in the morning and getting lunch boxes ready, like those types of decisions, when it's approached with this finality, there's just an extra pressure or an extra, there's some extra weight that is placed upon it that seems to be removed when you simply just look at it from that infinite perspective. Totally. I think we get confused that it's a zero-sum game. And that if somebody else has a success, it somehow diminishes me. That's a line of bullshit. It's not a zero-sum game. It's an infinite game. There's plenty of room for everyone to win the infinite game because the winning is the opportunity to keep playing. Yeah. I think that's probably why I get so mad at my kids when they go, I won. (laughs) I want to go, what are you? What do you mean? We're drawing. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yep. So that's it. My last question to you, Quinn, as we round up here is to you, what does modern masculinity mean? Yeah. So when I think about modern masculinity, I think about the moment of transition, the moment of opportunity where viewing life is a learning journey. We have an opportunity to explore the world is not what it was. What was called for in the past may or may not be valid now. And we have such a big, beautiful opportunity to explore what that means. What does it mean to be a man in today's world? What does it mean to move through the world in this body? I walk through the world in a white cisgender male body. What does that mean? What does it mean just to be a part of half of society if we stick with a binary, but not even that if we go broader than binary. So we have an opportunity to redefine smash. Pandemic was great. Everything changed. And as we come out of the pandemic, we have an opportunity to be something different. For me, that opportunity, that masculine opportunity and balance with feminine It's so liberating. I think it's exciting. What does it mean to me today? It means living in the question. Yeah. Where can people go and get connected with you and go deeper into your world? I'm probably easiest to find on LinkedIn, but also my website, my own consulting company is pauseio.com. Cool. I think that's where we connected was on LinkedIn. So we'll put yep. all, I will put all that into the show notes as well. Guys, we appreciate you being here and being part of the tribe. If you guys enjoyed today's episode, we would love a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. And if there is someone out there who's dealing with the same shit, send it to them and let's let them know that they're not alone. And I would encourage you to take yeah. one thing, at least one thing that you got from this conversation, implement it, execute it, and check back in. Let us know how it goes. We'd love to hear about it. Like I said, thanks for sticking with us today and being part of the Modern Masculinity Tribe. We'll see you on the next one. Later, guys.